given me the privilege of knowing you, of seeing you. Thank you that yesterday in church I felt your presence and you drew near to me. I'm so privileged, God, that you would let me, a mortal, draw near to you, a holy God. You pray like that and see what happens. Lord, I want to behold your power and your glory. I've seen the power and the might of nations, but that passes, goes, but your power remains. And Lord, what I need today is your power, your glory. I will face things today, God, I can't fix. I need you to fix it for me. Our problem is we rush in when we have a problem. God, help me out here. Here's my shopping list. You know? So that's what's going to start happening tomorrow. So if you haven't, um, if you don't have a Twitter account where you can tweet, <laughs> you might want to get one. Okay, I want to move on and speak to you today. We've been talking about the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority. And the theme this year is say it with me elevate your life. Would you do that? Tell somebody, I'm going to elevate my life this year. (laughs) Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. And God, notice who did it. (laughs) Well, you could pray that. You could say, I didn't do it, Lord, you did. You raised me up with Christ and seated me with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Then in Luke 9, verses 1 and 2, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them, hold up your right index finger, power. Your left index finger, authority. See, the reason I'm having you do that, as I've emphasized, two different things. Power, authority. We've always believed they were synonymous. They're not. Power is one thing. Authority is another. You have power because you receive power after you were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You receive the power of God. He lives on the inside. Question is, do you have the authority to use the power within you? And so he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Tonight, we're starting something that's going to occur every once in a while. Um, maybe every quarter uh, we're going to be doing a special Sunday night service for healing, deliverance, and also, um, I haven't even decided what to call it yet, a Holy Ghost night for those that want to receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. And um, uh, that's going to be tonight for people that really need breakthroughs. But notice the kingdom of God does not come without power and authority. So let's pray. Father, I thank you today that you have given us power. I thank you because it is your will that we have authority. Teach us how to exercise that, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Elevate your life. Just turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. You're getting ready to move to another level. Would you do that? Amen. Talk about the express lane. How many of you know who Jeff Gordon is? Anybody here? Jeff Gordon, NASCAR. One of the most winning drivers of all time. The most winning driver in recent years in NASCAR. This is a Pepsi Max commercial featuring Jeff Gordon. I want to show you what it's like when your life really takes off. Go ahead and put this up there. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Nice and easy. Head on out and whenever you're ready. Are you ready to go ahead and, yeah. and drive? Okay, yeah. sure. Whoa. <laughs> that's all right. A little more than I'm used to. Yeah. It's got some power, so just get a feel for it. Okay. Okay, all right. But ease off just a little. Ease up. So I was thinking a lot more age on me, some wrinkles, a little dorky, maybe some facial hair. There's somebody that I can pull off a, a fun prank with. <laughs> Let's go have some fun. My good friends at Pepsi Max have hooked us up with this cool cam cam. So these are the glasses cam to show you everything that I see. How you doing? Hello. I'm Mike. Steve, nice to meet you, Mike. I saw you sort of gravitated towards the Camaro. You thinking about getting one? Oh, no, no, no. This is way too much car for me. I'm Well, it's a lot of power, but... They've designed it to be very safe. I don't know if I can handle it. I, I've never driven anything like this before. Well, I, I tell you what, I think a way to really make you feel comfortable would be to put you behind the wheel. You're good. <laughs> what are you driving now? Oh, just a minivan. Oh, yeah. yeah what am I You're signing not here? You not, sure? it's, it's just a checkout sheet for a test drive. You're not obligated to anything. It's just so we know who's out. Let's go give it a drive. Are you getting a little nervous. No, I'll be right there beside you. There are your keys, sir. Thank you, Steve. You'll have to unlock it, Mike. Oh, yeah. thank you. There we go. Oh, yeah. What a car. Mm -hmm. Well, we better buckle up. Yeah, good call. Power. Power door locks. Standard, of course. for any damages to the vehicle, so please stop the car and slow, or at least slow down. Slow down. Slow down. You can't go through that gate, Mike. Stop! 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 Watch it! Watch out! You're going to wreck this car, and you're liable for it if you wreck it. Great, amen. So you can go from driving a minivan to a Camaro. Amen. When you take spiritual authority in your life, life picks up speed. I can. Amen. We've been talking about the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority, and I'm on the second one. I've spent more time on the first two because I feel like they're so important. 
they are foundational to the other ten. People think spiritual authority is just, well, you have spiritual authority and you have spiritual authority. Oh, no. You've been around the kingdom of God for any length of time. You will have observed that some people have authority in areas others have not yet received authority in. They would like to, but they haven't. My contention is the first two are the foundations for those that come afterward, and they are sequential. <clears throat> that is, you don't move into authority over finances. You don't move into authority over demonic spirits, religious systems, healing, things like that. Though we would like to, you don't do that until you first master the first two. The first is authority over yourself. The second is authority within a family structure. Again, there is no breakthrough at the first level. What happens if you gain authority over yourself is that that qualifies and prepares you to have authority and to have breakthrough in the other dimensions. But this is also why people say, but I don't understand. I've prayed, I've fasted, I've served God for years, read my Bible, done what I could to lead a good life. Ever hear anybody say this? Just never seem to have a breakthrough. Why? It's because there is no breakthrough at the first level. That prepares you for what comes at the next levels. And according to what God told Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless Abraham because I know that he and his he will make his children serve me as he has done. We're, I'm paraphrasing words to that effect in Genesis. And so that literally means that when Abraham took spiritual authority in his own family, that's when breakthroughs and the promises God had made to him in Genesis 12 and 13 began to come to pass, that I will bless you and make you great, make your name great, make you be a blessing to all nations, and everyone will bless you. And none of that happened until he had gained authority in the first two dimensions. And so it's important that we understand this. He didn't have a breakthrough when he got his own life in order. It came after he demonstrated authority in the family structure, which is the second level. Now, for that reason, I've been spending a little more time on these, and I want to get into this quickly today. Today, I want to talk about using God's authority to bless your family. I want to finish this up on, on families. This year, I'm going to be teaching quite a bit about families, marriages, relationships, because I feel like it's so important to elevation. I don't care how much money you make, if your family life is miserable, you're miserable. Hear what I'm talking about. And I don't care how much money you make, if you lose your marriage, you may end up losing your money. What's that old song, she got the gold mine and I got the shaft or something like that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So let's be real. Real elevation means that you have to have some things in place in your life. And so... I've been reading from the story of Nehemiah. The story of Nehemiah is an incredible story, very insightful. Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries. Ezra rebuilt the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. Now, in Scripture, there are what we call types and shadows. That's what the Bible calls them. In today's modern vernacular, we, we would call them metaphors, analogies. We would call them similes, we would call them emblems, we would call them signs. For example, the emblem of the United States of America is the bald eagle. In scripture, there are things that are used to represent other things. 
Let me say it like this. When God speaks once, he never speaks just once. Hear what I'm saying? When God speaks once, he's never speaking just once. He speaks once and says so many things at the same time that you can spend the rest of your life trying to figure out everything he meant by what he said at one level. One statement is so filled with meaning and the Bible tells us this. Jesus explained that he talked in parables that he could purposefully hide some truth from people who were not yet passionate enough about God or hungry enough for God to seek truth at deeper levels. You can hear what is said at the surface level, but you don't get the real truth of what is being said till you get hungry. And when you look at the book of Nehemiah, you will find this tremendous analogy. Some call it an allegory. And what is actually happening here is that Nehemiah is building the wall around Jerusalem. Jerusalem in Scripture, to use an emblem, to use a type, a shadow, a metaphor, a simile, Jerusalem is a type of the church. It's the mother, Paul said, of us all, talking about the spiritual church, the entity of Christ that he calls his bride. Well, the church is typed in the Old Testament as being Jerusalem. You see the care and protection that God gives over Jerusalem. That's the care and protection in the New Testament that he's giving over his church. And when once God attaches himself to something, he just doesn't give it up and turn and walk away. And though Jerusalem has been devastated, which is a type of the church having been devastated by a failure of consecration, God doesn't give up on Jerusalem just like he doesn't give up on the church. And so the king in Babylon gives Nehemiah authority to go and to build the wall around the church, okay? But watch this. In those days, the walls of a city were not just the walls of the city. It was also the external wall of the homes that were built into the wall of the city. For reference there, you can go to the book of Joshua, Rahab the harlot, you remember? Her house was built into the wall that was common in those days, and they found archaeological remains to demonstrate this was the way that they built things back then. And so what you have now is a city whose walls are torn down, walls are for defense, walls are for protection, walls keep some things in, and they keep other things out. So right now, there is no ability on the part of Jerusalem, the church, to keep evil from coming in or to keep their people from going out and being subjected to violence at the hand of the enemy. There's no protection, in other words. But this is what you need to see. The same wall that's the wall of the church is the wall of the family building or domicile as well. That is to say, you can't have a strong family without a strong church. I need a better amen than that. And neither can you have a strong church unless you have strong families. They share the same wall. The same wall that defends one defends the other. And so what I want you to know 
is that you cannot build a strong family that's strong in the right things without being connected to a strong church. You can't. People today want to minimize the value of church in their lives and say, I'm going to build my family here, and I don't, you know, church is, you know, take it or leave it kind of thing. Oh, no. And people move their membership from church to church like they're shopping for ice cream or something. I'm serious. You need to be real careful about what you get hooked up with. Because the wall of the church is going to be the wall that protects your family. You don't have a strong wall for a church. You don't have a strong family in the right things. And the result of this minimizing of the value of the importance of the church has brought us to the place that the family is disintegrating. There has been an orchestrated, all-out war on the part of the enemy to destroy the church. Hear what I'm telling you. It's not just about the church. It's about your family. It is. Come on, help me out. I want to know where's the news media right now. They've got this case going on on the East Coast. All these abortions, babies, spinal cords being snipped. Why don't we hear one word about that? In the media, I'll tell you why. Because they have an agenda, and they're pushing that agenda, and they're not going to talk about anything that makes you take a position that is not compatible with their agenda. Amen. I'll pat my own self on the back right now. Amen. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. The church and the family are two different sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other, which is why you may have never felt church was important to you, but if you've got a family, it's a lot more important than you realize. Amen. And you'll never build a strong family that's strong in the right things without the church there to help you. And so when we look at this passage in the Word of God, Nehemiah 4, verse 13, therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Now, here's what you're seeing. The people who are going to live in this house, this wall that they're building will be the wall of Jerusalem, the church, and the wall of their house at the same time. So he puts the men building the wall for their house right at the place where their house is going to stand and then lines up the wife and all the kiddos behind him. Wow! What an incredible picture. What insight into what actually goes on when men take their place in the kingdom of God. Today... I want to tell you how to use God's authority to bless your family. Number one, realize we are positioned, say positioned, to win this fight. Nehemiah 4 and 13, therefore I positioned men, he said. Men. I positioned men. 
I need you to understand right now, every person in this building, that God has positioned you. You're not trying to get a position. God's already given you one. You're not jockeying for it. You're not vying for it. God created you for it. He knew the position would be there and you were born to fill it. Amen. He positioned men. God supports those who support his causes. The elevation of the family is God's objective and not just ours. And so who is behind putting this man here? God is. Okay, secondly, God is wanting not just to, we have not just been positioned, but I want you to notice who he is positioning. I need all of the men in this building to say he's positioning me. You hear that? Say that good, strong bass voice. He's positioning me. You know what I'm saying? He's positioning me. That's right. God has created men to stand in that gap and make up the hedge for their family. We have by default given it to the woman who is standing behind us. It was never her task. Or her assignment. Thank God she did as well as she's done. Amen. Because many of us, our families wouldn't have made it to where they are if it hadn't been for the women that honored God and held the line. But it's time for men to rise up and be men. Come on, ladies. Help me out here. I need somebody to say man up. Would you do it? Yes, men are being called for. Don't apply thinking that the task is going to be easy. It's not. There's a reason God's calling for men. In this egocentric, me-focused, and self-absorbed world of today, there is an absence of real men who are willing to put themselves in harm's way for their family. But that's what these guys were doing. In Horm's way, they stood and said, can't touch my wife, can't touch my kids, unless you first deal with me. Amen. You're going to have to go through me to get to them. Wow, you got to take your hat off to people that live that kind of life. To the men in this building, I would say, if you want an example of real manhood, look at Christ, who willingly gave himself for us, his family. Isn't that what Ephesians really is talking about in Ephesians 5? That men love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Sometimes you got to give what you don't want to lay down. Sometimes you got to lay some stuff aside there's nothing wrong with. I'm preaching better now than... Uh Uh-huh. But you're laying it aside because you're giving yourself for what is more valuable than what you wanted to do in the first place. Amen. The third thing that you do to exercise God's authority to bless your family is know that God has set us with our families to fight on their behalf. We ain't going away to war. We're not on the other side of the planet. 
you know, writing a letter home every once in a while, Skyping a call. Uh Uh-uh. We're fighting with our families. They're right there beside us. What do I mean by that? Read it in Nehemiah 4, verse 13. I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Fighting's not taking place on some foreign front. Fighting these days is going on right here where you live in your very own neighborhood. You're having to fight for truth not somewhere overseas. The fight has come home to America. Amen. And you know what you got to do? You got to stand your ground. Hello. I don't know about you, but I've reached the point I've given up all the ground I'm going to give up. I've pushed, been pushed, I've backed up, I've compromised, I've said, excuse me, I got out of people. I'm not backing up anymore. Amen. There are some things I will not surrender. I don't care which direction we go as a nation. I still believe this is the word of Almighty God. I still vote that God knows better than man. I still believe his word is forever settled in the heavens. I still believe his precepts are to be esteemed always as right. The word of the Lord is pure as silver refined in a furnace of fire seven times. Amen. There is no flaw in his word. Therefore, you just have to excuse my lack of political correctness. If it's in the book, that's what I believe. Oh, but times have changed. Yes, they have, but God has not. Nor has his word. I wish I had somebody to help me preach right now. Aren't we tired of the direction this nation is going in? Aren't you sick of a sinking economy, a hopeless future? Isn't it time that God showed up once again in America? Amen. So, number three, amen. As I've said, we need to know he has set us with our families. Number four, do not fear the outcome of this battle. How do you use God's authority to bless your family? Do not fear the outcome of this battle. I need you to know God's not in a practice of losing battles. God doesn't lose wars. Yeah, that's an amazing thing about sports. You can have the best team in the world this year and next year. That's why I stopped having a favorite team. I'm sorry. I know I'm in Houston. Whichever one's winning is my favorite. That's the one I was rooting for all the time. (laughs) Amen. 
That's right. I, I, I pick 100% winners these days. I just wait till after the game to choose. You hear what I'm saying? Well, I just want to tell you this. You don't have to wait till after the game to choose in this battle. God doesn't back losers. He's never lost a battle. He's never been confounded by a problem. And I want you to know that if you stand for your family, God's going to protect them. The enemy cannot destroy your home. Nehemiah 4 and 14, I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Who's the them? The Sanballats, the Tobias, all of those circling around. You see, you're always going to have a horde of the enemy circling around on the periphery. If you want to, you can spend all your time watching them, listening to what they say. All of the language they're using, the curses they're hurling, the bad things that they're speaking until you can, oh, did you hear what they said? No, I'm too busy building my wall. Are you watching them? No, let them watch me for a while. I'm tired of watching them. Amen. Do not fear the outcome of this battle. How do you live without fear when so many things have gone wrong in so many families? I tell you how, know in advance how the outcome's going to turn. Amen. Know what the outcome is going to be. That is to say, don't wait until the battle's over before you shout. Tell somebody, shout now, would you do it? Give your victory shout right now. Thank you. I wasn't meaning literally, but you got my point. Joshua and the children of Israel, uh, Judah, shouted before the battle. That's what we have to do. Shout before the battle. You need to not live in fear any longer. I'm talking to some of you that are going through a rough place in your life, your marriage, your family. Don't get bogged down listening to the chatter of the enemy. Look up at God and say, God, you are able. I know it's going to work out. Amen. Number five, how do you use God's authority to bless your family? Make our hearts and our homes to be the dwelling place of God. Then God will protect our dwellings. And our loved ones. He will do what you can't do. If you make your heart and your home. Be his dwelling place. Amen. Nehemiah 4 and 14. Nehemiah said to the people. After putting them in position. Instructing them that the same wall. That was the wall of the city. Was the wall of their home. And putting their wife, wives and children behind them. This is what he said. Remember the Lord. The end of the day, who's it all about? It's about God. It's not about you. Oh, we human beings can be so arrogant sometimes. We wander on the stage and think the whole drama is about us. Amen. And we don't even realize that all we're doing is playing a little part. When we step off, the drama still continues. 
not about us. It's about him. History is a cognate of two words. His story. His story. Whose story? His story. Amen. And you've got to know this. That if he's behind you, nothing is impossible. Audrey Hepburn from a bygone era, very famous actress, said this. There is nothing that is impossible. The word impossible actually says, I'm possible. Spell it out. I'm possible. Tell somebody, I'm possible. Would you do that? With God behind me, I'm possible. This is the God factor. When you make your heart and your home be the dwelling place, this is what happens. Psalms 91 and 9. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge. Oh, let me pray it. Because I have made you, God, my refuge. Even you, the Most High, my dwelling place. No evil can come near me. Nor can any plague come near my house. Pray the word. No evil can come near your house. When you make God your dwelling place, the result is Psalms 91, 5 through 10. Again, I'll pray it first person. I shall not be afraid, Lord, of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. Only with my eyes will I look and see the reward of the wicked. But you're protecting me because I dwell in you. Somebody in the building needs to shout hallelujah. The devil can't come near your house. Amen. Now for you to make God and uh, the, the person who dwells in your heart and, and in your home, you might need to do a little house cleaning. Amen. Some stuff might need to be some stuff may need to be set on the curb. May need to be some magazines and some computer stuff getting gotten written. Oh, but what I do in the privacy of my home is my business. Isn't if you want God to live there. How do you use God's authority to bless your family? Number six, be vigilant. Tell somebody, stay awake. Don't go to sleep. Amen. Nehemiah 4.16, so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked to construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. While they were building there were others that were wearing the armor. You never lay your armor down. You stay alert. Amen. You stay alert. This speaks of preparation. Little word of wisdom gleaned through the years. Don't wait until a crisis has begun to start family devotions. Amen. Don't wait until there's a problem before you gather your family to read the word or to speak blessing to one another. Don't wait until everything is falling apart to say, 
Can, gee, let, let's have a prayer meeting. Sometimes it's too late when you wait till then. Number seven, how do you use God's authority to bless your family? Fight for your family. Don't fight the family. Fight for your family. There's a difference. I know some, they fight with their family. Oh, boy, did it ever get quiet then. <laughs> Let me give you a little secret. In church, you want to say amen at appropriate moments. <laughs> because being quiet at the, at, the, at the wrong moment to be quiet draws and attracts attention to you. So we're going to just pretend that one never happened. I'm going to say it again. Fight for your family, not with your family. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nehemiah 14, 17 through 18. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Build the church and build your family. Time spent building the kingdom is really time invested in your family. Time invested in your family is really time invested in the kingdom. When you build both, the result is you are, ha you are functioning and you have a right to operate in the authority that God gives you. What will be the inevitable result of doing this? Nehemiah 16, 6 rather and 15 says this, so the wall was completed. You know what you're going to do? You're going to finish the task God gave you. You're going to build the wall. Tell somebody, I'm going to build it. And you know what the result of building it was? The enemy became afraid. Look at Nehemiah 6 and 16 when all of our enemies heard about this. That heard about what? The wall being finished. All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Tell somebody the enemy is getting ready to become afraid. Would you do that? I need you to, fi I need you to feel me on this, you know. I need you to get this. Some of us live in fear. Oh, you got to pray for me. This is going on and that's going on. Look, why don't you make the devil be the one to start turning in prayer requests? You know that the devil does show up to meet God every once in a while, right? Bible says it. Read the book of Job. There came a day when all of the sons of God, speaking of angels, presented themselves to the Lord. And the devil was there too. Satan was there. And the Lord said, how you doing? And he said, not too good. Wouldn't you rather it be that instead of you telling God, I'm not doing good, Lord. Wouldn't you rather the devil say, God, please, I'm not doing good these days. Tell somebody I'm going to flip it around on the enemy. Would you do that? What can you deduce from this? And I'm closing. What can you actually extrapolate from these passages? These examples and teachings from Isaiah teach us this, that our natural and normal condition as believers is that we're supposed to have spiritual authority within our families. We're supposed to. The king gave them authority to build the wall. And the same wall building the wall of the church 
was the wall that built the wall for the family. This means you're supposed to have authority in your home. Not the devil, not the government, not friends. I'm preaching right now. Amen. Not your neighbor. You're supposed to have authority in your family. Tell somebody I'm going to use it to bless. Would you do that? Dad, you're the priest. Mother, you have authority. Together you stand and you draw a line in the sand and say, this is where the wall is right here. You can't cross this wall. You can stand out there. You can cuss. You can shout. You can threaten. You can do anything you want. And then you don't worry about it. Make the enemy be the one to worry. I think most of you know because I've mentioned it before. One of my favorite stories is that of Smith Wigglesworth. He was not a brilliant man in terms of education, brilliant in other ways. He was converted. He only had a third grade education, but he was mightily used of God. And the enemy hated him. And one night he woke up and his bed was shaking like this. And he turned over and it was a devil. And he said, oh, just you. Rolled over and went back to sleep. That's what you need to do. Boy, don't you know that'll mess up the devil. Amen. And so in concluding, understand the spirit dimension responds to rank. This is why authority is so vital. And so as I conclude today, you declare it, that it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You declare it. I want you to come join me right now. Because I'm going to conclude with here with several life application points. Stand and gather near me at the front together. Everybody, we're going to finish right here. And I want to share with you ways to apply this to your own life. Number one, determine to possess and exercise your authority within the home. You hear what I'm teaching? Let's move it out of the realm of conjecture and hypotheses now. Let's move it out of theory. You need to determine that after today, I'm exercising authority in my home. Would you lift your hands and say that? Father, today, I am going to take the authority you have given me. And I'm going to be a man or a woman of God in my home. Number two, authority must be based upon something. You can't have authority unless you know what it's founded on. You take this word and you study it every day of your life. Actually, you want to know where this whole idea of tweeting from Twitter, did I get it right that time? Thank you, I'm learning. You want to know where this whole idea came from? Studying this passage. I realized that I need the word of God every day in my life. And I couldn't help but think of the people that God has made me overseer of. You have the same struggles we all do. You have the same struggles I have. And you know what helps me? His word. Your authority has to be based upon something. You need to know the word every day of your life. Study it. Join with me in this uh, Twitter campaign thing. Amen. Number three, as a priest in your home, speak and pray blessings, divine favor, 
and supernatural elevation over every member of your family. With your hands raised, you have the authority to do this. I don't. Brother Wonderful doesn't. Sister Spiritual doesn't. Not even the president does. The mayor doesn't. You have authority in your home. With your hands raised, declare what I've just said to over your family and say, Father, today I speak blessings over every member of my family. I declare today that everyone that is connected to my family will walk in divine favor and will experience supernatural elevation. The enemy's got to get out of their way because I'm opening heaven over my family. Number four, use your authority to cancel every assignment of the enemy against your home. Use your authority. Amen. You need to understand that Satan is developing strategies that are unique to each member of your family to try to destroy them. You would know better than I what the individual family members that you cover are walking through right now. But with your hands raised, let's just say this. Mighty God, I cancel every assignment that the enemy has who are under my spiritual care. I break that assignment. I speak confusion to the enemy. May he turn against his fellow members of darkness and become confounded. Look, I love this one. May he fall into the pit he dug for me. Turn his own weapons against him. Woo! Hallelujah! 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 Amen. Number five. Model and make important the things you want to see in the lives of your family members.